the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 193 for Monday, March 2nd, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Keycap. We're back after our week off. I'm here, of course. John, hi. How are you? I didn't get a week off. Oh, I did. Well, from this, you did. Yes. <laughs> Not other things. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was fun uh, watching you guys uh, uh, tweet away a little bit here and there uh, during your travels. That was fun. Yeah, we had yeah we, we 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 had a great time actually. It was a, it was well warmer than here, so it was nice to thaw out and replenish some vitamin D stores a little bit. And uh, it was just good to get some family time and hang out. You can't there. stay in Florida too long though, because there, there's there's a kind of insanity that floats around Florida. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, everywhere's different, but uh, we were down in Naples, so it wasn't it wasn't the vacation paradise kind of I, I like thing, the so. the horse birthday cake what was what was going on there oh look you know so so my father-in-law <laughs> uh his wife has has horses at the barn which is on their property down there and mm-hmm. the woman that she used to have a bunch of boarders and now she just has this one woman that that uh, shares feeding and and care responsibilities and so it was one of her horses birthday it was crazy look there's no reason to talk about this, is there? <laughs> this, this, this is a, funny. This is a part of my life I'd rather move past. <laughs> right, let's move along here. And boy, do we have a lot to... Uh, we, we got do. so many things to talk about, Dave. Um, we do. Um, you know, I could maybe speculate that we probably talk about Safari 4 beta, maybe some switcher questions. Yeah. Um, uh, some RAM and hard drive upgrade tips, and, and probably just boatloads more. That. Yeah. That's right. We'll get to when we get to. Including, I, I've but never, not limited to. That's right. Yeah, I've never read that part before. Yeah, we should. Yeah, yeah there you I, go. I should read that part more. So, cool. um, and, you know, I'm going to keep going here because what comes next is, is about me again. So this is great. Um, so, you know, like anybody, I, I love taking a critical piece of software that I use every day and installing a beta. Now, everybody knows what beta means. Beta means it's not ready for prime time. But um, as you may have seen, Apple announced that they have the Safari 4 beta. I'm like, okay, sure. Download it. Um, install it, it uh, which kind of annoyed me. It didn't, it, it got rid of Safari 3 and replaced it with 4, which Let's talk about somewhat, that for a second. To me, is somewhat unexpected because I don't see why you couldn't have them running side by side. And I've seen that in the past where you could have multiple versions of the same browser, you know, Firefox and others. So, so that kind of annoyed me. The good news. Well, let, let's, let's talk about okay, that go for, ahead, go ahead. for a second because. Safari is um, is the browser, right? But but very in a very similar way uh, to to how Internet Explorer is integrated into the operating system. Safari, the core of Safari, which is called WebKit, uh, and and there's another WebKit we're going to talk about that's very much related, but not the same thing, uh, but sort of the same thing. Uh, the the WebKit core is integrated into the OS. And that's why, for example, when you install the Safari 4 beta, you have to reboot because it's replacing that browser. So if you have, let's say you've got mail open, right? And somebody sends you an HTML email. Well, mail doesn't render that on its own. It goes and uses the WebKit engine that's built into the OS. And in this case, when you install the Safari 4 beta, it replaces the Safari 3 WebKit engine with the new WebKit engine. So everything uh, on your okay. system takes advantage 
of all this stuff. Right. Right. Um, but, yeah, but, now, that, you know, that, but that has ahead. me almost shaking my fist because you're referring to something which I think was a dark time in, in the history of computing. And that's when Microsoft at one point in time, probably because they were getting their butt sued for, you know, any competitive behavior said, oh, the the browser is a part of the operating system. And at that point, I think we pretty much concluded they were lying. <laughs> they were trying to show that that was the case, but it wasn't. So, so, so I don't know if it's a fish shake, but but that's not exactly what you said. It, to me, what you said is that there's a component of, oh, is it a part of the operating system? It, it It's a facility that a lot of applications take advantage of. Now, whether that's a part of the operating system, I guess it's debatable, right? Yeah, well, it's uh, it, it, you're talking about on the Windows machine, on the Windows side, or on the Mac well, side. Well, in, in general, I mean, I think what you said is WebKit. Well, I don't, I don't think you said well, WebKit is a part of the operating system, I, but, but it I is will. Part of, I will say that WebKit is a part of that. the operating system. Okay. Absolutely, yeah, because because any app on on the Mac can take advantage of WebKit. It, you know, we've seen it with with a jillion different apps, right? I mean. Um, mail, which I mentioned that Newswire sure. uses it. Basically anything that's out there rendering web content on the Mac would frankly be foolish not to take advantage of WebKit okay. because why would you want to roll your own in? I guess there's plenty of reasons why you'd want to roll your own right. engine, but, right. but, uh, so, but you don't have but, to. Uh, do you agree? I mean, remember the case uh, that it was debatable at the point Microsoft was making the statement that the browser is a part of the OS? Ah, yeah. Well, that that's a different thing, right? Because they they were force they were forcing that integration where the Finder was the browser, and y- mm. you know everything was there. This is just a component of the OS, yes, much like understood. location services or anything else. You can use it if sure. you want, but you don't have to, right? It's just it's an API call. It's there, ready for you, but it's not forced upon you. Mm-hmm. So, so moving on. Anyway, okay. yeah, yeah, you, so, so you so, installed. You know, actually, we're, we're not going to move on. I'm going to talk about one other thing before we before we leave this little topic. Uh-huh. If you want to keep your OS core with the stable Safari three, there is another uh, option, and that is at WebKit.org. Now, WebKit.org allows you to download what they call nightly builds of a browser called WebKit. The, the logo is very much similar to Safari. The look of it is very much similar to Safari. Indeed, most of the code is very similar to Safari, but they're nightly built. So it's all the latest stuff available to WebKit. Now, I think there's some things in the Safari 4 beta that are not available to WebKit. I was on vacation. I didn't have a whole lot of time to research this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but if you want to use the latest and greatest version for your browsing needs only and leave the core of your OS alone... You can go check out uh, webkit.org and download those. That is a standalone browser, similar to the way Firefox is a standalone browser. It, it can live on your system in conjunction with Safari. You can have it running simultaneously with Safari, and it will act differently. So right. that, that, okay. I, will, I will leave so, it at that. So go ahead. You did your Safari 4 install, and... And then, so as you know, um, I have an iFi card, which is a nice little Wi-Fi card that will... Uh, you know, take pictures and upload them. One of the options is when it sees a computer it knows about with the uh, uh, iFi manager, it'll upload the photo. It'll start uploading photos to your computer and then it will import them. I assume through an API that, you know, they, if they've followed, it'll import the photos into iPhoto. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I uh, shortly after installing the Safari beta, I tried to do this and iPhoto would import one of the photos or it looked like it was getting around to it. And then crash. 
and give you the standard crash dialogue saying, you know, do you want to restart? Do you want to send info to Apple? And I'm like, you know, let me, let me see what the cause of this is because it kept happening. You know, I thought maybe my iPhoto was, was corrupted. So I did the, um, there is a way, I think it's a, what is it? Option, uh, command option when you launch iPhoto. Okay. It gives you a dialogue that lets you do all sorts of rebuild and, you know, thumbnails and clear out caches and all sorts of things. You know, try it and you'll see the list. Um, so I tried that and that didn't fix the problem. But, but we, we have had people write in with uh, iPhoto problems. That's something worth checking out because there's like six or seven options there. Some of them take a real long time. Like one will rebuild all of your thumbnails, which you may want to do. But anyways, when I looked at the error dialogue to see what it would report to Apple... One of the, the, the things in, in the, the crash log, or whatever you want to call it, was WebKit. I'm like, hmm, WebKit caused an exception. Now, let me think, who uses WebKit, as we both pointed out earlier? Oh, Safari does. And gee, have I changed Safari lately? Yes, of course. I've installed the beta. So, how to solve the problem? Now, fortunately, and kudos to Apple for doing this with a piece of beta software, there is an uninstaller in the Safari 4 beta installer. And when you run that, I think what it does basically reverses the process. You know, it keeps keeps track of what happened underneath the covers, and it reverts you back to Safari three. And then when I tried the import again, it worked. So there's, but, but this is why it's beta software, folks. It's not supposed to work perfectly. So apparently, something in this photo import API in iPhoto 09 doesn't get along with the uh, the new WebKit. Interesting, huh? Did you so uh, did just, you report that bug to them? No. Right, maybe, maybe you should. <laughs> you mean I have to reinstall Safari 4 beta to then hit the uh, bug submission thing, which I think... No, no, no. No, a- report the bug not to not to Apple, but to I uh, the iFi folks. I don't think it's a problem with them. Well, no, it I depends think it's on your I, perspective. <laughs> to me, no. They're calling... I, uh, no, I think it's with Apple. They are calling iPhoto in the way they should be. And iPhoto tries to do its thing and crashes. Because Are you certain Safari, that they're calling yes. iPhoto in the way that they should? I mean, is this a no, a published no, API? You know, Apple rubber stamped a, approved method of calling iPhoto, or have they found some hacked way that just so happens to work given a certain set of criteria? And if we change that, and yet all the APIs still behave like they should, if you bypass them, now you're now. I'm not saying this is what I don't know what iFi is doing, but but I do know. We've seen this a lot, right, where applications, application developers find little paths around and they break when there's an update. It's, it's entirely possible, but to me, it seems a generic option to bring. Now, I could have tried dragging a photo over manually in iPhoto and see what would happen. But seeing as how when I uninstalled Safari beta and right. everything worked, I would say it's uh, I would lean towards it being a bug with Safari and iPhoto. Just because when I remove the thing, but no, you're, you're, you bring up a good point. It could be that they're calling it in a wacky way and it breaks with the new improved, uh, supposedly versions of WebKit and, uh, Safari. Yeah. Cause Lisa, uh, oh, she didn't, in, she didn't import into, uh, she doesn't have Safari four on, on her machine, but I pulled in a bunch of photos from this week into my Mac mm-hmm. and I had upgraded to Safari four and iPhoto took them fine. No problem at all. So, um, so. So, you know, I, I didn't need to run Safari. I mean, it has right. some very interesting features. The, yeah. uh, 
you know, favorites. They, they seem to really enjoy doing the cover flow thing. The, the one thing I, I thought was most compelling was that it does what a lot of browsers do already is when you type something in the Google search box, it'll do kind of a live update of what it think you may be either common or past searches or ones that a lot of other people have made. Yep. And also I, on the websites. Excuse me. I, um, I use a, a piece of software called Glims, G-L-I-M-S, for Safari mm-hmm. that does this in any version of Safari, including the Safari for beta. So nice. uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's freely available, and uh, I couldn't possibly live without it. So, uh, so awesome. yeah, very, very So handy. enough about my problems. Let's talk about your problems. Actually, No, you we... didn't have a problem. Uh, well, I did. Oh, uh, oh good. I'm going to talk about a couple of problems, but first... I'm going to talk about our first sponsor for the show, which is Excellent. Smile on My Mac. Uh, and this month, we're talking about PDF Pen Pro. Now, PDF Pen Pro allows you to edit and manipulate PDFs uh, in in ways that, that the preview app doesn't let you do. You know, it, it'll let you do a preview, will let you do a little bit. PDF Pen Pro goes so much further. Uh, you know, and this is tax season, right, John, where we're all working with various different PDFs, either from our banks or from the IRS, and you're filling out forms and maybe creating forms, or maybe you have a PDF that you'd like to fill out on the computer, but it's not a form-based PDF, so Preview and even the Adobe Reader don't let you do it. Well, PDF Pen will. Uh, not only can you put text in, but you can put graphics in. Uh, if you happen to have something that you've scanned in, and you want to uh, recognize that text and edit it, PDF Pen will do that and then convert it into a, a PDF for you. All sorts of stuff available. Uh, this is PDF Pen Pro 4 from SmileOnMyMac.com. It's available for uh, 50 bucks, $49.95 US. Of course, you can download a free trial. Uh, but, you know, things like if you need to sign your uh, your tax return, you can paste your signature in there. I imagine the IRS will accept that. They tend to accept just about anything as long as it comes with a check. Uh, if you've got, you know, a PDF, maybe you've got multiple PDFs that you need to send to your accountant, but uh, you don't need all the pages from all of them. Maybe you get different stuff from your bank and you want to pull cover pages off. You can uh, stitch together all your PDFs into one, pull the pages around, reorganize things. Uh, you can search, you can select, you can copy all the text inside of PDFs. It it truly is, you know, your PDF pen, uh, your PDF manager on steroids, so uh, or on rails to use the uh, computing term. So that's PDF Pen Pro from SmileOnMyMac.com. Okay, uh, and you know they they were just tweeting today about that they are not working on a um, arcade shooter game. Okay. Well, that well, I was hoping for either PDF Pen Blaster or Text Exploder, but no, <laughs> neither one are coming out. No, we love this. That's guys. awesome. That's awesome. But uh, maybe they should. I mean, <sighs> so I had a a uh, oh. another very minor power outage while uh, while I was away, and you know, I I run uh, FileMaker server on our uh, dual G four Mac OS ten server here, and the. Issue is, of course, if the if the server or access to that server is down, then uh, the staff can't get into it. So Sunday night, we had another snowstorm or an ice storm or something that knocked the power out. It, it was out for a couple of hours. Uh, power came back up. My router came back up, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, but I could get into the router from and now. Of course, you know, I'm down in Florida. I could get into the router, but I couldn't see the FileMaker server. I'm thinking, okay, did maybe one of the switches between the router and the FileMaker server not come back upright? Is there something wrong? Or 
I had a very old router that had been through, uh, you know, some lightning strikes and some of the Ethernet ports on it weren't quite right. And so is it possible that the router is responding, but it's not talking to anything, right? So I uh, had my dad come over at noontime, you know, on his lunch hour, he came over on Monday and walked into the office. And sure enough, he said, oh, well, you know, I walked him through a couple of things and he said, well, the, the power light on the dual G4 server is not on. Said, well, that's easy to solve. So had him press the power button. We waited about two minutes. I checked with the iPhone. I was able to get in to the web interface on the FileMaker server and uh, my vacation was saved. So uh, but the interesting thing is, John, uh-huh. I have gone. I have it hooked up to a UPS. And this is this is a key element. If you once you hook something up to a UPS and then hook up the USB cable that allows right. it to communicate with the UPS, uh, you get an extra option in the energy saver preference pane. And I was going to ask you about one of the because I thought there's one. I'm looking at it now and I know where you're going, but I just want to ask this okay. question. Restart automatically after a power failure exactly. is one of the options in the energy saver options exactly. tab. And that should. It yeah, should it, work. But here's OK. So you have a couple of options. Was it, for was sh- it checked? It was. Oh, OK. Yep. And, and that was my question. OK, yep. interesting. Go on. And it did not. So uh, there are a couple of options in the energy saver preference pane when the UPS is connected via the, the data cable, the USB cable, mm-hmm. and you can tell it when you want it to shut down. And I believe the three options are when it's been on UPS power for X amount of time, when there are X amount of minutes left in the estimated battery life counter of the, the UPS, which, of course, could change. And then when the UPS hits a certain percentage of battery life remaining. Uh, I didn't care how long it had been on UPS, but I figured, okay, well, if it gets to the point where it thinks maybe there's 10 minutes left, I want it to shut down nicely. I, you know, the point of having it on a UPS is that you want it to not just have the power yanked out from underneath it. I want the computer to shut down nicely and then the power goes up. It's fine. Well, uh, so I had that checked and I had it set for 10 minutes and then I also had it set that when the UPS gets down to 25% power remaining in the battery, all right, now let's go ahead and begin shutdown proceedings. And therein was my problem. What happens is the system executes a shutdown command. And when it shuts the system down nicely, i.e. power is not yanked out from underneath it, then the Mac does not know to automatically start up again when power is applied. For example, if you take your Mac now, even if you have that little box checked, John, and you go mm-hmm. to you know the, the Apple menu and you choose shutdown, uh, once the computer is shut down, if you pull power out from it and then plug it back in, it's not going to magically start back up because it was shut down properly. And that's the uh-huh. issue. Yeah. So it's it's like the, the, these two things are fighting each other. You're telling it, yeah, look, shut down and then start back up when the power comes back up. But it has no idea because power failure, I think. Yeah. Right. Power failure means the machine figured out, oh, somebody pulled the plug. Mm hmm. So here's but here's the thing. I dug deeper into this. There is a, when when the system shuts down. It goes through, it closes out all the services, it closes all your apps, it logs you out. And then at some point in that process, it runs the Unix command called shutdown. And it passes an option to it called dash H, which means halt. And that shuts the computer down. That actually, you know, it shuts everything down and then powers down the computer. Well, if you have it on UPS power, you can 
what it will do is it will shut down and it will use H, but it will also use a dash U option. Now, this is all done behind the scenes. All the scripts are there to do this. Ooh, good. And the, the U option says shut down, halt. But just before you get to the point where you're actually going to pull power from yourself, wait five minutes. And the, the assumption, and this is a very large assumption, is that in those five minutes, the UPS is going to run out of battery power and yank power out from underneath the computer. So it's going to have shut all the services down. Everything's fine. Doesn't matter how power is pulled from the computer. Everything's going to be okay. But if you let the UPS pull power from the computer, then it will know, ah, yes, power is back. Okay, so now we can fire back up and all is well. The problem was I had it set to shut down when there was 10 minutes remaining on the UPS, not Five. Now, there's nowhere in Apple's documentation that tells you this is how you have to manage this particular process. But uh, wow. but trust me, it is. So now <laughs> I have it set. And now I have I have changed my priorities. It is more important to me to have the system sh- start back up when power comes back on. So I have set it to shut down when there are two minutes remaining on the UPS. Now, I hope that's enough time. For it to shut down the system. If it's not enough time for it to shut down the entire system, I know that most of the higher level stuff, the FileMaker server, the file server, those sorts of things will be shut down before power is yanked. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's enough for me to feel comfortable that, yep, okay, it's okay to have power pulled because it's got to die within that five minute point. The other problem is this. Let's say, uh, you know, the system gets to the point where it's shut down and now it's waiting five minutes for the UPS to pull power. What happens if the power comes back on in, in that five minute window? Anything could happen. Well, now I'm, I'm stuck because the system power is still there and now it's just going to shut down and it's going to wait and nothing's going to happen. So it's not a perfect solution. I'm still looking for that perfect solution. What I did do was I set a schedule to have the machine start itself up every day at 4 a.m. So the worst thing that would happen is the power would go out at 4.30 a.m. one day, and we would have to wait 24 hours for the system to start itself back up once the power came back on. That It's not perfect, but at least it's something. And uh, so that's that's my wow. craziness. Yeah. Okay. No, and uh, and just uh, if, if you're interested, because I was following along with you, Dave, um, if you go to the terminal, man, which brings up a Unix manual page, shutdown yep. shows all these gory details that Dave had to deal with and the nuances of the, uh, the shutdown command. Yep. Cool. Uh, wow. all right. So oh. I mentioned my, my router that had been through, uh, essentially been through hell and back, right? I mean, let's mm. face it. And, and this is the thing that manages the whole network here. Mm. The day before I left on vacation, I was at Pete's house. Hi, pilot Pete. He's pi- Pete. Pete's Hi right guys. Here. Happy Pete. groundhog day. Oh, no, that was last month. <laughs> Uh, that's true. It was actually. long winter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was going to put this, uh, this Linksys WRT 600 N router up on eBay. And, and he said, you know, you're running your network on that, that, uh, that limping along, you know, one port works, uh, old Linksys router. Are you sure you don't want this one? And so I said, well, actually that, that mm-hmm. it's pretty much a no brainer. I should buy this from you. So, uh, I checked online to make sure that it would work with our favorite DD-WRT firmware, and sure enough, it would. And I bought it from him. Of course, this was the day before I left on vacation, and so I figured I was yeah. better off living with the 
limping along but known to be working router as opposed mm-hmm. to rushing through the setup of this new one and and you know leaving it and and that seemed to be the the right gamble that paid now off. what's what's the deal with this i mean six i mean first off i mean we love the wrt 54g that yep. that is everybody loves that thing even though they've you know scaled back on the the ability to update it but this has three digits it does 600 n so that must do way more than a 54 so the the first thing that's important to note is the 600 n has uh, 32 megs of of ram and 8 megabytes of flash memory and what that means okay. is it can run any flavor of the dd-wrt firmware uh, which is a third-party firmware for Linksys and some other routers uh, at, that I really like. And the reason I oh, really nice. like it is it has a PPTP VPN server. In short, what that means is with my Mac or my iPhone, I can log into my router uh, and create a private network tunnel to my to my home network here and access any computer and any device that I have as though I were sitting here. And that is an important thing for ah. me when I travel. And that's okay, why I PP, prefer. Yeah. Point to point tunneling protocol, right. I think. And so that's, that's an a important secure thing. way of accessing it from wherever. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, to all the machines that are here, they assume that I am local and connected, you know, wired into my local network and everything Excellent. is good. Yeah. So it's good. And, and there were some things that I needed to do this week that, that it paid off to have that. So that's why I like the DD work firmware. There are other reasons, too. It's got some cool bandwidth monitoring tools and all that. But but the primary reason is that is that uh, point to point tunneling protocol. And just so you know, you can do that with the standard version of the DD work firmware. The VPN version, which also includes OpenVPN, which is this big monstrous VPN solution that I haven't currently used, and then Mega, which has everything. Uh, so, uh, so the other thing that this 600N router does, it's got a couple of things that are sort of upgrades from the old one. It has two radios in it. One is a G radio, or one is a 2.4 gigahertz radio that will go and do 802.11 B, G, and N. And then there is a five gigahertz radio that will do 802.11n. I think it no might also do 802.11a. Okay. The the DD work firmware won't uh, doesn't appear to support that. A A has kind of been uh, I don't know, but I I do not believe any Apple equipment mm-hmm. does A. Does the first the first generation MacBook Pros did a Lisa's Lisa's MacBook Pro will not do N, but it will do five gigahertz a and I have her running that huh. over at the house because a to me was was kind of shunned because I guess the, the problem with a is the high frequency usually results in, you know, shorter uh, distance. So, right. Yeah, that's right. It, it is. It's not nearly as good as N, but it's better than B or G. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Go. yeah. So uh, so it's got those two radios and the DD work firmware. That's the one place where the DD work firmware is a little bit lacking. It doesn't have full support for the five gigahertz band. It it sort of works, but I bet it's not as fast as it could be. For me, that doesn't matter. Uh, I don't use five gigahertz in the office anyway. I, I wire in my my laptop and it's fine. Uh, so as long as the two point four works, I'm good, and it does. Uh, and both work. But again, I'm just not sure about the speeds. The other thing that it's got is a USB port that you can hang a drive off of. And and use essentially as a, a, a NAS, you know, a network attached storage device. Now, with the Linksys firmware, you are stuck. You have to use a FAT32 uh, formatted drive. And we're going to talk potentially, depending on how much time we burn here, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm not sure what the DD work firmware will do because the current version doesn't allow you to do anything without hacking through and doing a bunch of stuff. Again, I didn't care about that, uh, but I imagine at some point I will. And there's a new version of the DD work firmware coming that will do it again. You can do all of it with the Linksys firmware, but uh, but the Linksys firmware does not have that uh, that PPTP server, which I I love and rely on so much. So anyway, so I'm running the, the WRT 600N. Now, here's something interesting, John. Uh, you may know, but I'll explain it anyway. When you have a cable modem and you connect your router to it, you know, if you reboot your cable modem, you connect your router to it, they essentially marry each other. And the cable modem will only allow... Uh, traffic from the first device that it sees. So as long as it sees your router, you're fine. Well, uh, it also remembers the IP address assignment by that MAC address. So uh, I didn't want to change my IP here. So what I did, mm. and the Linksys firmware and the DD work firmware allow you to go through and oh, yeah. change the MAC address of the router as it advertises itself to the outside world. So I changed the MAC address of the new router to match the one of the old router. And, and I programmed it all internal to the network. And then when I thought it was ready to go, I just unplugged the old one. I plugged in the new one and the cable modem was none the wiser and everything's been running fine since. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what's this cable modem thing you speak of? <laughs> huh? <laughs> do, I, do we even have to go there? The cable uh, modem, no. mod, modulation and demodulates oh, stop. Go. a data signal across Just the cable kidding. network. Okay. <laughs> so that's my, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Should we go on to one of our, our listeners' questions, or do yes, you have any, we have any a, questions? Nope. Okay. Nope. So, right. um, so we're going to PW. Questions. PW. PW. Uh, he's, trying, uh, he's trying to economize here. Yeah, PW asked three questions, so we're going to be on PW for a little while. He writes, I believe it's a he. Could be a she. I don't know. Hi, John and Dave. I just got a unibody MacBook a few weeks ago, but I am not a switcher. I think both OS X and Windows are great OSs. I am still using both daily. So you're you're a pre-switcher, is I believe what the folks at Apple call you, PW. Uh, I have some questions about how to make my life easier when using the Mac. If you folks already talked about the question, uh, it's fine. Uh Number one, and I'm going to ask these questions. I'll ask all three, and then we'll talk about them uh, individually. Number one, can I partition a portable hard drive so that half of the drive use as a time machine and half of it format it as NTFS so that I can use it under Windows? Number two, I am using UnRAR X 2.2 to unpack RAR files, but it extracts all the files, which I cannot select which files to unpack. Is there any way around this? And number three. In Windows, I can use Alt-Keystroke when I am prompted to choose, i.e. Alt-Y for yes or Alt-N for no. It seems the Mac does not have this feature. Is there any way to do that? All right. Let's start with number one. Number one, partitioning. Now, here, here's my take on this. It, and, you know, the sad part is neither platform, it, well, it shouldn't be a surprise, is very friendly to the other, Right. <laughs> Right. So if you are on your Mac, so the thing is, uh, we will take the need here. I'll have a, a slight suggestion. So, so the need expressed here was half NTFS, half, um, we're going to say Mac OS, 10, uh, Mac OS Extended. Apple's utility will format, of course, Mac OS Extended. It will not format NTFS, at least not drive utility. Right. Now, this could, uh, I'm sorry, yes. You could choose, now they, 
oddly call it MS-DOS, which is really FAT32. So Apple's utility, I don't know why they call it MS-DOS, because to me, well, maybe that's why. It harks back to a day of, you know, command line, you know, drudgery. And <laughs> so I don't know why they, they don't just say FAT32, because there are different versions of FAT. File allocation table. So, um, so as far as I know, there's no reason you can't do this, but you're going to need two machines to do it. So one... You get a PC. Since he's saying NTFS and not FAT32, I don't know why he doesn't want to use FAT32. I think there are security benefits if you do NTFS versus FAT32, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. But if he wanted to format half of it as FAT32 and half of it as Mac, then you can do it all on the Mac. If you, want, if you insist on NTFS, you have to use a PC to do that. Or there could be... I, I haven't surveyed the landscape. I don't know if you know, Dave or, or Pete, if there is a Mac utility that understands how to format NTFS on the Mac. There, there's, you know, honestly, there's probably something that you can compile at the command line to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I don't know of any anything in the GUI. So and I and for the record, I agree with you. Unless there's a good reason to have to use NTFS on this external drive, you're probably better off using FAT32 because that is readable natively by both sides. And I know you're going to talk more about that. Oh, yeah. Now, now the thing comes up also, and actually I was doing this the other day. I was benchmarking a drive at work, and I wanted to benchmark write speed. So I plugged it into the PC. Everything is great. It's a MyBook, Western Digital MyBook. But when I plugged it into my Mac Mini, it showed a little, you know, can't write icon. And I'm like, oh, that's right, because OS X, although it supports reading from NTFS drives. It does not support writing. Now, how could I possibly write to an NTFS drive on the Mac, you ask? No. <laughs> and the way to do that is that there's a couple of things. There is a package called MacFuse, which appears to be an open source thing under Google right now, but it has a add-on. So MacFuse is a way to add file systems to your Mac in a way that uses, and I don't know the technical details, rather than doing a kernel extension, it does it in the user space, I think, is the advantage, and they have an SDK. The end result is it's easier to do this than to write a whole new kernel-level driver. But here's the good news. MacFuse has something, uh, somebody came out with something called NTFS-3G, and I think they're at NTFS-3G.org. We'll link to it. This is a driver that on your Mac allows you to write and to NTFS volumes. Now, they have two versions. They have the reliable version, which is relatively slow. And when I was doing my benchmarks, I got about three megabytes per second on a USB 2 connection, which is not stellar. It's actually kind of kind of really bad. Um, and then I did their optimized one, which had some sort of uh, caching, but it was advertised as maybe not entirely stable. And that I got about nine megabytes a second which surprisingly was faster than I was able to do it on my Dell PC, which is a similar class machine through USB 2. So anyways, MacFuse and NTFS 3G is cool. Now they have other file systems. So like they have an SSH file system and a YouTube file system. So this is a really neat little product that I, I found out through one of my uh, uh, Twitter contacts, who's a uh, regular listener. When I tossed the question, I'm like, how do I do this? And that's, one of the things, and we won't turn it into the Twitter podcast, but that's the, the, the one thing I like about the medium is I toss out a question and of the people that follow almost certainly they're 
people smarter than me. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> I can answer the question. No, it's like it's like the Borg hive mind. You toss a question out, somebody out there knows the answer. So this was awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I and I can't remember what I used it for while I was on vacation, but but I I tweeted something and got you know five responses within two minutes that answered the question I needed. And immediately, you know, it's just good to go. Yeah, right. well, we'll stop the uh, Twitter love fest because but, sure. and, you know, it seems that the articles I've been reading, though, it's either people dig it or they think it's this narcissistic, you know, self-fulfilling. Why would I ever want to do that? And I was at that mindset until you turned me on to it, Dave. So it's, I, it's both. I, I don't know. It's it both. can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. yeah, it can be a narcissistic check me out thing, but I don't use it that way. I use it at to, least not you know, most of the time. All right. Get, let's get right. back to this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's about it here. So, okay. yes, you can partition the drive. If you don't need NTFS, then do it all on the Mac. And I think you'll be happier because you won't have to use another computer. But if you need NTFS, I don't see any reason why you can't use both computers uh, because I, I've done this. And, and both computers will understand the partitioning scheme. If they don't, they'll say, well, I don't know what this is, but do you want me to format the rest of the drive this way? So, right. Right. All right. Uh, so question number two is, no, I don't like this one. Yeah. I don't like it either, but, but so, <laughs> so there is, you know, we, we, many of us are familiar with the zip, uh, compression method, uh, in the old days on the Mac, we all use stuff it, which, uh, ended, mm-hmm. ended the files in S I T or S I T X when it got to be stuff it deluxe, uh, and RAR, R-A-R, is yet another uh, file compression method. Kind of Unixy, I think. Yeah, and I believe RAR is very good for uh, files that are uncompressible with other formats. Um, mm-hmm. it, it breaks things down into multiple uh, multiple archives easier or, or multiple chunks more easily. Uh, and the issue is the GUI utility for Mac OS X does not allow uh, our, our listener PW to choose which files uh, he or she wants to extract from, from the archive. If you go to RARLab.com, R-A-R-L-A-B.com, you can download the command line version. Now, you may already have this if you've got the uh, UnRAR GUI utility, and you can go to the command line and type man RAR, R-A-R, uh, and, and that will... Uh, that will show you different switches that you can use at the command line. And I believe that's going to solve the problem. I honestly don't use RAR enough to even have it installed. So, um, and I'm looking at the uh, Linux RAR command list here. Okay. As I'm and talking, when Dave says switch, what he means is that typically you, you type the base command and then you will usually type a space, probably a dash, and then a letter or letters and maybe some other stuff. But when we say switch, just... Yeah, that just occurred to me that, you know, you could have a network switch, you could have a switch. Yep. So just want to clarify. And if you do a man page, as we pointed out before, you say man and the command, if it exists on your computer and they decided to install a man page, yep. um, it will tell you all of these switches and some. And actually, the syntax is some somewhat arcane. Sometimes it'll show you the ways you can form the command. And some of that gets kind of wacky. Then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So uh, so that that's. That's the answer. That's the best answer we've got. Now, number three on Windows, <laughs> you can do Alt Y and Alt N to answer yes or no. And on Windows, it's made very clear because, uh, at least from what I remember, 
And, you know, it's been I, I worked on a couple of Windows machines while I was down well, in Florida. I'm, My father-in-law's and, and his uh, his his father's uh, computer. But uh, but there's an underline for the character that uh, that the alt will map to. So if it's alt Y, you know, the yes has a underline on the Y should in the dialogue. Be. It should be. That's right. Now, I think depending on whether you write your own, which we've seen people do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's a, they they call it or they used to call it an accelerator. Where if you um, yeah, if you uh, anything that comes up on the screen, you can say okay, Alt whatever is equivalent to this. And as they pointed out, the UI will show you an underline under that, which means you can use the keyboard. And I I would say in general, Windows apps are better at doing this for the most part, in that almost anything can yep. be driven by a menu. And I think they encourage their developers to do that. So I, I think the Tip of the hat at this point goes to the PC for allowing you to use the keyboard to to navigate. And I think that's a big gripe on the Mac sometimes is, yeah, where's my keyboard shortcut to do this? It doesn't exist. Sorry. Well, on the Mac, there, there's two things that are going to happen. First, just hold down the command key. In many cases, as soon as you push down the command or clover key uh, or what used to be the Apple key, um, You'll see the dialogue change, and instead of it being yes or no or or cancel, it'll be command Y, command N, or you know command period. Uh, the it, but but that's not going to happen in all cases, cool. and in some of the remaining cases, even though when you hold down the command key, nothing changes on the screen, you can use command S for save or command D for don't save or command period for cancel. Uh, and those all work, even though there are no UI clues, user interface clues uh, that, yeah. that this might actually happen. Uh, so try it. I do it all the time. I, I don't even think yep. about it anymore. Pick the first character uh, of the, the 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 option you want to choose other than cancel, which is almost yep. always command period. But uh, but but okay. pick that. And, and it, it in more cases than not, you'll find that it works, even though you have no clue that it's supposed to. Right. And here's another one. Actually, uh, I'm looking on my notes here. I did a uh, gadget a while ago on something called KeyQ. Yep. KeyQ is a utility which will show you every single keyboard shortcut for the screen that you're on. Sometimes they're not obvious. They may be buried in, in a menu or something like that. I, I, I got to stop you here, though. Does KeyQ show you these in the dialogue boxes? Because I didn't think it did. I think yes. it'll show you the menus, but does it show you dialog box cues? Uh, it it can dig. I'll get back to you on that. Okay. All right. <laughs> no problem. Probably not. No, 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 but probably not. But it shows you every, if it's a, you know, nested menu, then yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Menu off a menu. And, a, um, and menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got you. Sure. Yep. Okay. So no dialog box. No, you can't do that. So, um, you know what I was thinking? No. I'll tell you. I was thinking, how, how do people get in touch with us? Actually, before, before we answer that question, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about our second sponsor. Excellent. And that is Circus Ponies at CircusPonies.com using Notebook. Uh, now, Pete, I, every time we talk about Notebook, I bring you into the conversation because I know you use it. I do. As does your son. So, so Notebook is... Without, for for lack of a better description, an electronic notebook or a way of organizing multiple electronic notebooks. 
And and uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, how you or, or even your son, I know your son uses it for uh, for his classes. Well, what they don't guarantee is grades. So that, <laughs> <laughs> that unfortunately is not working for my, for my 14 year old. <clears throat> well, however, uh, it, it the, the beauty of it is um, the, the ability to use its index and its contents so you can put multiple notebooks together and easily retrieve the data you're looking for. And if you need to put uh, handwritten notes uh, scanned in or uh, a PDF or a picture or anything like that, you can bring illustrations into it. Um, so it's a wonderful uh, aggregator, I guess, of information. That's the best thing that I can, you can say about it is that and the ability to go back and find that information once you've put it in there. And that's, you know, we've got all this information on our computers. Good luck finding it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's the beauty of notebook. It lets you it lets you find it and organize it and keep it in the way that you would if you had a paper notebook. Only you don't lose the paper notebooks in theory, <laughs> or, right. or the electronic notebook right. in theory as easily as you do the uh, paper notebooks that are left in the locker or in the backpack or what have you. And all the homework kind of makes it back into there. Works out really nicely. Cool. So, and and and. You, you mentioned the searching. I know they have what they call multi-decks, which lets you search uh, for information across multiple notebooks. Is that right? Yes. Within, wow. And then you can keep it all in within one. One master. Uh, yeah, one master. And okay. So you can find, you know, he's got his history and his language uh -huh. arts and, and that sort of thing. And he can, he can go to each different subject within the one master. So works out nicely. It's uh, um. In, in many ways, for Yojimbo users, it, it, it's similar, uh, yet it keeps it in notebooks instead of tagged files. Okay. If, if, if you different will. different so, concept yeah, of slightly different concept, but uh, uh, same goal of being able to bring information back readily at your fingertips. So Got it. It's a neat piece of gear. So it's available at circusponies.com. Uh, they do have templates built into the software to help get you started because. Uh, you know, if you could see, you know, I had I had the benefit of actually watching Pete explain this and his hands were all over the place. Pete's like me. He talks with his hands and uh, and 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 that helps sort of bring it all together because it is one of those pieces of software that's hard to grok until you begin using it. And uh, so so they have these starting point templates that, that just help kind of kickstart things for you and move you in the right direction. So you can finally say, ah, OK, I get this. All right. Throw all this away. Now I'm going to do it my way. And uh, and that's circusponies.com notebook uh, forty nine ninety five once you buy it. But it is available for a 30 day test drive for free. Uh, so that's uh, all available at circusponies.com. And Pete is using and, more hand and gestures. To advertise one more th thing within <laughs> that, uh, I think it's uh, Don McAllister's webcast online. He has yeah. a free and, and a pay version of how to use notebook. But his, even his free version is fabulous. If you, you buy it, get you up and running really quickly. Cool. So. Cool. All right. Uh, so we have... Uh, uh, i got to mark something now. How here. do you... But Dave... Ah, yes. 206-666-GEEK, which is? 4335, and that's how you call in to us. Uh, mm -hmm. You can email us at feedback at com, and please use that email address. Emailing John or I directly, you know, as I was triaging it's a my... Mess. As I was triaging my email on the uh, on the plane coming home from vacation, I found, I don't know, half a dozen emails from you folks just sent to my Dave at MacObserver.com address, and the way I organize my email... I can't do anything with those on my iPhone. 
They they don't they they I'm not in the right place. I need to be at my computer when those come in. So please, and I know John's the same way. So feedback at macgeekgab.com is absolutely the best way uh, to get in touch with yep. us. And it because really, I can see it, and uh, you know I do a lot of the uh, pre-show prep. I can see the questions, so I'm not you know, totally surprised. That's right. Unless you're a groupie or a stalker, in which case, yeah, you know, email us directly. Yeah, that's right. If you have something to say to us personally, <laughs> no problem. Catch us on, on Twitter or email us directly. But but uh, if you have a question that, that truly is for John and I, send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And, of course, Twitter, John F. Braun. Dave is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. It that's could right. be simpler than that. And should we do um, Dave? No, we're gonna do, we're gonna do Jeff, Jeff because we've already talked about Jeff? partitions. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we, and we might get. Well, to no, Dave. Dave's. Well, no, Jeff's about partitions. Yeah, that's what we're doing, Jeff. Right, because we talked about partitions here. Okay, so we're gonna talk uh, more. We're gonna. Right. We are. So, uh, Jeff, and and this is actually Jeff Quistad uh, from Backbeat Media called me one day, and oh, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, and and he said, okay, look, I've got this one terabyte drive that I bought. Uh, it, it was a Seagate drive, but it doesn't matter, you, you know, and he said when I bought it, it was uh, sold as a Windows drive. It was cheaper that way. I know because I work with you that it really doesn't matter. And so I bought it and I saved a little bit of money and uh, it, it works fine. Now, it's a one terabyte drive. And he said it came with two 500 gigabyte partitions. And he said, when I got it, I, I just, you know, reformatted the partitions as uh, HFS plus because they were initially uh, fat 32, which we talked about before. Uh, I formatted them as HFS plus to get journaling and make them more Mac centric. But then I thought, gosh, I want to have them. I, I don't want two partitions. I want one one terabyte partition. And I know it's possible. I know the Mac will see it. How come disk utility every time I go into disk utility and tell it to go to one partition? I start repartitioning the drive. It hangs for about three minutes and then it errors out. It won't let me do it. But if I repartition to two partitions, no problem. And so we dug and we dug and we dug and we dug some more. And when you partition a drive, uh, if you go into disk utility, you highlight the drive, not the disks hanging off the drive, but the drive itself. You can choose right. the partition tab. And okay. when you change the partition structure, the little options button lights up. And so I had Jeff go to that little options uh. button. And it always defaults to whatever the drive was form or was partitioned using initially. Now, there are three different partition types that Disk Utility supports. One is GUID, one is Apple Partition Map, and one is Master Boot Record. As you probably can guess, if you know where we're going with this, Jeff's drive was set at master boot record. Now, all, all three of these partitions are supported by the Mac. Any drive formatted with Kinda. these is readable by any Mac. Readable. But, readable. <laughs> but what the partition map type defines is what sort of computer can boot from these drives. Apple partition map is for PowerPC Macs only guid is for intel max only and master boot record is for windows machines now i don't think master boot record drives are typically limited to 500 gigs i think this is a limitation of disk utility but changing it from master boot record to guid which because he's running on a, an intel machine 
allowed him no problem to format that one terabyte partition as one drive and it worked just fine. It would not work. And I, I found a little thing on the Apple discussion boards about this. Uh, again, I, I don't think it's a limitation of master boot record in general, but it's certainly a limitation of uh, disk utility when dealing with drives that are set as master boot record. And, and, and many of you may buy these. I mean, there's, there's tons of these out there and there's no reason to buy yeah. a Mac only drive. It, there is no difference uh, other than how it's set right. up from the get go. Right. Now I've seen the same thing. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned this because at work I ran into this. It was some colleagues, they run Macs and PCs and would like to share a drive. They're like, how can I share a drive between the two platforms? Like, well, here's the key. And here's another oddity with XP. XP, when you format a drive as FAT32, for whatever silly reason, and I've seen this happen because I've tried it, if you make, if you try to make the drive larger than 32 gigs, it won't. Interesting. So the the, it, the Mac limited. is actually better at formatting FAT32, even though if it's MB, if it's set up as MBR. And that is what I've seen. I'm like, all right, That's trust crazy. me on this. Take the drive, format it on the Mac, format it as MS-DOS, incorrectly named. It's really FAT32. And make it as big as you want. The thing is, I don't know why, unless, I don't know who they hired to write the format utility in XP. Maybe they fixed it in SP3. I haven't, haven't tried it. But, um... Yeah, because I think FAT32 supports up to, what, four terabytes or something you and I found? Uh, FAT32, I think it's eight terabytes. Okay, but it's way bigger than 32 gigs, which yeah, yeah, now is like a paltry yeah. amount. Yeah. Yeah, so. Okay, good one. So, yeah, th- so you got to dig in disutility to find this because it, it, it's not immediately obvious. You see an options dot, dot, dot button. It's like, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Should we uh, let, let, let's skip to, to our follow up and, and tips here, because we've got uh, a couple of things we need to go through. Um, all right. So Stan wrote in mm-hmm. uh, regarding our region free uh, DVD playing or converting conversation. Uh, some of you wrote in and said our advice works fine. Others said, no, 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 no. Look on my Mac. VLC won't play uh, the the uh, DVDs from other regions or even Mac, the Ripper won't read DVDs Mm -hmm. from other regions. And as it turns out, some of the drives built into uh, current and and newer Macs will not let you uh, will not let programs like VLC or Mac, the Ripper read uh, from DVDs that are from regions other than what the drive is locked to. Uh, So what the, the, the workaround is, in those situations is to get a third party DVD player. Now for many of you that it simply may not be worth it, but, but that is the workaround. And there's a Mac OS 10 hints article about this, that, that uh, Stan sent through and we'll, we'll publish that uh, in the show notes. So, and uh, uh, do you have anything to add to that, John, before I play Adam's comment about something completely different? Uh, just that it's annoying, but um, yeah. no, I think there are, well, no, there are, and I, I think we saw in the feedback, there are RC one, and RC2 drives. So, yeah, it, it's a mess. I, I think the article will link to it. But the problem is, it, a lot of cases, you gotta, you got to blast the firmware on the drive. And sometimes the drive may... Yeah. There may be no way to do this on the Mac easily or conveniently. I'm, I'm sure there's always a way to do it. So on a PC, you get the drive you want. You flash it with this uh, questionable... It, 
firmware and maybe you've nuked the ability you've nuked the region coding thing and you put it back in your mac and everybody's happy but yep it it, it has a high geek factor and uh yeah you know. now now someone actually wrote and I, I forget who it was saying you know if you go on amazon or other services and you search for region free dvd player you may find one. Oh, cool <laughs> huh all right Region free. Remember that. Uh, you know, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna skip Adam here, and I'm gonna go to William because that that was go. a more relevant conversation. Go, William. Uh, hey guys, William? Hi. from Menlo Park, California. Here on uh, show number one ninety one, you got into a discussion on playing podcasts on your iPod, and the big uh, discussion had to do with how to play one versus how to play all that are in a group. The thing you guys missed is there's two ways to see your podcasts on your iPod, and depending upon which way you choose, you'll get one behavior or the other. If you go in from music, podcasts, to the podcast you want, it'll play one show, and you can tell it's going to do that because it'll say one of one. If you go into music, genres, podcast, all podcasts, and then find the one you want, it will play all that are in that podcast folder or group. And you can see that because it'll say one of two or one of three, depending upon how many there are in that folder. That's the solution. It's which way you go in so your listener who wanted to only hear one should go in straight, music, podcasts, find that podcast. It'll say one of one, and it'll stop at that. Um, the best way I find, though, to listen to podcasts is to use the on-the-go playlist on my iPod. That way I can set up the ones I want to hear. I like to alternate tech podcasts like the Mac Geek Gab or the Apple Weekly Report with other stuff that's maybe not tech, like something from NPR. I'm particularly fond of Left, Right, and Center, a political podcast from KCRW in Santa Monica. Anyway, just wanted to let you know that's the solution. I've always uh, thought it was odd that the two ways into podcasts gave different results, but they do. Take care. Good show. Keep it up. Bye. Thanks, William. And, uh, you know, I, I probably don't I, need to mention this, but I think someone's following you and be careful. You don't get caught. <laughs> I, I like the background audio. That was very nice. <laughs> the creaking door, the footsteps. Yeah. Is that real? You think it was uh, well done? I don't know. It, it's, it, let's just leave it as a mystery. All right. Outro. Here we go. Snow, you get that? Yeah, we got six inches. Yeah. Uh, we probably got over a foot here. Fourteen, really? Measured. Well, you always, you right? always, yeah, yeah. Well, you always get slammed. Yeah, we. Connecticut um, gives you the, the 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 good stuff. I think I lost another four feet of my driveway today. What? We, were, we were looking out on the deck. I I, I literally there, need there's a new probably, truck driver. probably fifteen or sixteen feet of my driveway that I don't I do not have access to. And and it's because I need a new plow guy. Yeah, exactly. The, the guy. Look, the he deal is, is, if you're not getting the Chevy bow tie imprinted on your forehead as you slam all the snow into the snowbank, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Well, assuming he drives a Chevy. Right. You know what I found is good is like at work, and I would think some people you, you put posts saying, "All right, here's where you plow." Here's where you don't. Yeah, you know, th- this guy just needs to be replaced. But anyway, uh, iPhoneAlley.com is Michael Johnston's home, and that's where uh, you'll find everything else that he does, in addition, of course, to the work that he does for us here, converting the podcast uh, to AAC. 
Cashfly, cashfly.com, provides all the bandwidth for us to get the podcast to you. And the podcast this month, the podcast marketplace this month, includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen Pro from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and they're back, Audible, uh, at audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab with one free audiobook, and we'll talk to you more about that next week. Uh, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, which uh, we get to thank, uh, among others, Jeff Quistad, who, uh, who had the... Uh, yeah. Question about the drive. So, uh, you got anything else, John? Before we uh, wrap this one up and yeah, push it out the door, these these four o'clock in the afternoon podcasts have gotten to be routine for us. I can't even complain yeah. that it's bright outside anymore. It's uh, the grill. It's buried. Yeah, what do I do? Mine's reburied too. I, I mean, I could dig a trail, and uh, I think I'll do a stir fry tonight. That sounds like a good idea. No. Order out. And like we said to William, you know, th- this advice goes for all of you. Don't get caught. Made up.